0: Introducing Michael Graziano. He spent six years on the road right before COVID, traveling to 193 out of the 193 UN nations. He's now done a TED Talk. He not only learned lessons traveling the world, but he has learned them since he's been home. Michael, welcome. What's cracking? Well, you tell me, youngest Canadian American to visit all 193 nations?
2: <laughs> American man. American woman is Lexi Alford. She did it by 21. Crazy.
0: How did she do that?
2: Her parents were travel agents. So she started traveling at like 13 or something. My parents thought I was going to be an accountant, I had to break them the bad news.
0: Were you not good with numbers?
2: I'm good at simple math. I'm, I'm pretty quick with simple math, but just not advanced calculus.
0: Did your parents travel with you at all?
2: We did some family trips earlier on when we were kids. We went to like San Diego, to like Universal Studios, Disneyland type thing. Went to Chicago to visit my dad's hometown, but that's about it, nothing too, too crazy.
0: I'm in Chicago.
2: There you go. We could have linked up 15 years ago.
0: What was your childhood like?
2: I was a little bit of a rebel. Yeah, I didn't really fit the mold very well. I had a powerful imagination. So I spent a lot of my time daydreaming. So for that reason, wasn't very good at school. I was in with not the best crowd. I could have easily gone down a bad path in life. Actually, luckily my brothers were in air cadets, which is like a junior military here in Canada. And they forced me to join against my will. They invited me on these summer camps where they pay you to go. I ended up going to those to make an income during the summers. And I learned a lot at these camps. They teach you confidence, enthusiasm, public speaking, how to be a leader, how to be a great follower. And this was like when you know, 16, 17 years old, they're teaching me these things. A lot of leadership skills that no one had ever taught me, taught me how to build confidence in myself. And kind of my life changed from that. Ended up becoming better in school, became class president of my high school, was Becoming really good at sports and just improving. So that was a pretty important part of my childhood.
0: Did you learn any camp songs?
2: Uh, it's more so like kind of military stuff. Like we used to do like marching songs. Like we would sing while we march just for enthusiasm.
0: Do you remember any of those?
2: I don't know. It's kind of like left, right, left, the military step, you know, those types of things. I can't remember anyone in particular. I do remember when we were doing obstacle courses. I was kind of like more athletic than a lot of the kids there. I remember kind of always coming first place and kind of like showing off. And then I realized that they told us like, you are as good as your team. You are as good as your slowest. you're as fast as your slowest person. So it taught me to create enthusiasm and encouragement and support for people behind and kind of help us all move together as a team. And that was a pretty important lesson moving on in life where I am today, because, you know, we, I look deep at this white privilege and even the passport privilege that I have. And you got to ask yourself, you know, sure, I went to every country in the world, that's great, but I had a Canadian passport and an American one. I'm a tall white man. that came from a middle class loving family. So I had a head start. And so you can't help but notice those things.
0: Speaking of that, how did you fund that kind of travel?
2: Yeah, so I didn't have savings. I didn't have any help from parents. I did a three-week trip to Thailand on my own. Three things happened on that trip. I overcame a fear of loneliness. I realized I can make friends everywhere. I realized there's a lot of misconceptions in the world that just aren't true and that people are innately good everywhere. And I realized how cheap it is to travel, especially if you do it through hostels. And so on the last day of Thailand, I made a promise to go to every country in the world by age 30 or die trying. A good old medieval creed. Either I do it or I cease to exist. I wanted to do it to prove people were good everywhere and I had nothing to fear. Yeah, it all started from that Facebook post. I uh, went did a Kickstarter campaign, raised $10,000 from friends and family. The interesting thing happened there. A lot of friends I thought were going to donate didn't give me a penny. And a lot of people who I haven't talked to in years even some from air cadets or where whenever would, would actually donate and um, it was really interesting to see that and then i went and got some companies to sponsor me provide free accommodation from hostel world free flights from flight center everyone pitched in with this mission to go to every country and prove the world's a good place prove people are good everywhere and human connection will get me through it yeah This was back in 2013, before Instagram, before influencers, before content creators. None of that existed back then.
0: And it's such an appropriate message for today.
2: Right? I came home after six years of travel. My coming home party was February 27th. So 10 days later, the whole world shut down. How's that for timing?
0: And I saw you posting about that. Like, how does that make you feel?
2: Like there's a higher power and it's too good to be true. Made me realize that I thought I was going to be some sort of elevated human once I reached country 193 and I realized I just ran out of countries, doesn't mean the journey's over. You know, the saying it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, that, that's so true. And anyone who's expecting to be elevated once they hit a million dollars or $10 million or every country in the world or find the love of their life, if they're leaning on some sort of future goal, they are going to be met with extreme disappointment. And I'm lucky that I did this at age 30 and didn't wait till 80 or the end of my life to come up with this realization.
0: Did you ever almost die trying?
2: Yeah, but it wasn't from any dangerous people. It's from myself. I'm the most dangerous person. I um, did a backflip. There's a nightclub called Aqua Lounge in Panama. They have in the middle of the dance floor, you can jump into the ocean and I did a backflip off of a swing and I hit my shoulder on the dock, almost hit my head and died. Almost fell off the Cliffs of Moore in Ireland because I was so focused filming. I almost got hit by a car in Singapore when I was rushing to meet Jim Rogers, this famous billionaire guy who had been to 120 countries by motorbike. We were late for the meeting and I was in such a rush, I almost got hit by a car. You know, it's a couple of near-death experiences. Every time I'm excited, that's when you almost die. When you're excited, you're not thinking properly.
0: Were there any difficult communication barriers? No,
2: the whole world speaks broken English and the whole world plays charades, you know. Body language is the universal language.
0: Do you have like travel tips to any of the places that you've gone?
2: I got a couple, I mean, it depends on where you're going. And I don't know if any of this applies post COVID. My first tip is to go connect with the locals, but I don't even know if that's allowed anymore. My challenge to myself was if I put out my hand for a fist pound, will I get one back? If I reach for a hug, will I receive a hug? If I tell someone I love them in their native language, will I hear it back? You know, just fun human connection stuff. But now I don't know. I don't know if that's still going to be the case.
0: I love that you came up with that challenge. Did anybody else like give you challenge ideas?
2: We do little things. We do fun stuff. Like we do the, a hug challenge where you give out free hugs and see how that goes. My friend Felipe went homeless in downtown Iran, in Tehran, the capital. He did a 24 hour challenge without any money. All he had was a video camera, no phone, no wallet, no passport. And he was just trying to show how beautiful and hospitable the Iranian culture was and ended up staying at this mansion guarded by crocodiles. And he has it all on film. Yeah, it was a, quite a journey he went on.
0: <laughs> yeah, now I want to know about like animal adventures.
2: Oh yeah, lots of safaris in Africa and Asia. Where do I start? Chobi National Park. We stayed in these beautiful like villas surrounding a waterhole and you have hundreds of elephants coming to drink from the waterhole, wild elephants. So you're just kind of sitting there with your wine and your fire and then wild elephant will walk right by you some of the most amazing safaris. We saw some um, silverback gorillas face-to-face in Uganda, which was amazing because of how similar they acted and looked like humans. The human mannerisms was pretty amazing. There was, actually, there's another reason we almost died. There was a a baby chimp, a baby gorilla, and I almost, I didn't see it in the grass. And had I stepped on it and that baby cried, the mom would tear me apart, probably all of us. So it's a good thing I didn't step on that baby.
0: How many people were on your crew?
2: Probably like 15. And they gave us up to eight hours to find the gorillas. We found them in the first 20 minutes, just by chance. I think we found like 12 of them, two families.
0: That's so cute.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what else did we do? Saw over a million wild seals in uh, Namibia. Millions and millions of seals all along the coast. Stayed at a hotel that had wildlife just walking through it in uh, Zambia. I was uh, filming a zebra, and I said it looks like a donkey with stripes. And literally right after I said that, it bucked the camera right out of my hand, which is the perfect video.
0: (laughs) That's so cool. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. I want to know about, like, security, too. Did you have security with you in certain places? No, no,
2: no, no. Never. Never. I mean, the best thing you can do is stay with locals or at least hang out with locals. Like through Couchsurfing, you're going to find a lot of incredible people through there. It's all based on user reviews from previous hosts and previous guests. So you kind of like, they're vetting the people that you're about to meet. The Couchsurfing community is really cool, hospitable, kind people that kind of look out for you. So when we were in Sudan and Somalia and uh, Iraq. We, we'd we always hang out with the locals just because they know. They know what to do and what not to do. Saves you from having to figure it out the hard way.
0: I'm in shock that you traveled to all of those places with no security. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Nothing bad happened. The worst thing that ever happened to me was I got my wallet stolen in Chicago, actually, on a layover. I traveled every country in the world safely and I got robbed in America.
0: That doesn't surprise <laughs> me. Oh my God. Wow. Do you still keep in touch with people that you've met? Oh, yeah. Tell me about some of those relationships.
2: a lot of it's just on Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook. I mean, I am focused on my new venture, but I just get a lot of love and support from them. And every now and then people will, you know, ask what I'm up to or ask if I could share some footage that we have or some photos or ask if I could promote their channel. I've inspired a lot of people to go to every country or to do some level of traveling. So I love to support them.
0: Oh my God. And you were so young when you went, like, did you do some serious partying?
2: Oh yeah, very much. It was a run and gun production. Like we kind of had a plan, but not really in the beginning. Me and this guy named Alex, we were just two dudes with a video camera and we started off with zero followers. And I remember in the beginning, they remember the JavaScript you could post in your address bar that could highlight all your friends and you could invite them. Facebook hadn't fixed that. So what I would do is I'd go to these hostels and I'd buy someone a $2 beer if they would JavaScript all their friends and invite them to global degree. They did it, of course. Everyone wants the free beer. So I think we got to our first like 5,000 followers, like organically, I guess you could say. And then, I mean, some bad things happened to Alex. He got robbed at gunpoint in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and he had filmed the whole thing on his GoPro. And that went viral. We're interviewed on CNN and NBC and good morning America. And the whole world was talking about this video because of how gripping it was. It got about 20 million views. And I think we got about 150, 200,000 total followers just from that. And then we got discovery channels attention because I hit them up on Twitter and they saw how quickly we were growing. So they put us on their digital network for two years, which then helped us get a lot more sponsorships because everyone wants to be affiliated with Discovery. Yeah, and then we just start getting press, start doing contests. We were giving away free trips around the world. Natalia, Anya won our first one. She got a free trip to every country in Asia. Andrew Santos won the second one. he got a free trip to every country in Europe. So we would do these grander, larger than life giveaways and we'd get some, some followers from that as well
0: how unbelievable did that feel which part to be able to give people trips to asia and europe and partner with discovery
2: this was back in probably 2015 and i went to my sponsors i'm like do you guys realize that no woman has ever been to every country in the world on record no one how is that still a milestone that has not been completed and they're all like okay like we're in like we'll sponsor this girl we have to we have to make history right it was just one of those opportunities so we did this contest Natalia won the contest she did meet a guy and after a year it, we were traveling very fast it was it was a little bit too much for her so she bowed out after about a year and a half but another girl named Cassie Pecal, who was one of our contestants she just said, you know, F it, I'm gonna go do it myself. They didn't pick me, but I don't care. And she went and got her own sponsors and did it. And she became the first woman on record to go to every country. She did it in a year and a half. I think it was like two days per country.
0: How much money do you think you spent?
2: We got a lot of it sponsored because we were filming and because of our, sp- our sponsors, because TripAdvisor, Discovery, we were GoPro, we were working with some pretty big names. I'd say like out of pocket, half a million dollars total, but that was including sponsorships and all the stuff that was coming in just went straight out into our trip but if you're talking all the stuff we got for free just from generosity of people and companies and tour travel companies and tour operators you're probably looking at like a three million dollar trip for the whole group
0: do you want to do it again
2: no i wouldn't do it again it was pretty crazy it was a lot it was uh it takes a special type of maniac to go to every country in the world it's easy to say it's fun to say but I had my ups and downs. I'm happy I did it the first time and I'm no regrets. I'm, but if you ask me to do it a second lap, the answer is no, no chance. I'm just going to go to the highlights. I know where all the secret gems are in the world. I'm just going to go back to those.
0: Okay. I want to know about the ups and downs. Tell me about the secret gems and then tell me about the downs.
2: Azerbaijan, Djibouti, Namibia, Bhutan, Somalia was interesting. Colombia is magnificent. Guatemala, Montenegro, Malta, Kyrgyzstan, very nice. Georgia, incredible. Yeah, there's a couple names you haven't heard in a while or ever. (laughs) In terms of the downs, I did deal with some loneliness at some point. Dealt with a lot of pressure trying to be a social media influencer and comparing myself to other people, asking if I was making an impact. I didn't like my relationship with women. I thought I was being a little bit of a lover boy in my trip and being with multiple women. And I don't think that that was necessarily the, way, the right way to do it. I felt this overarching privilege was kind of dwelling on me. I could sense they were rolling out the carpet for me. And I asked myself, well, you know, what happens when I'm not here? What, what's the experience like? What's the experience like if I was a local? How would I be treated differently? so i was just kind of asking myself that the whole way through or you know in some parts at least we lost sponsors halfway through we've had people pull the plug on us abruptly and there's a couple moments i thought the project was 100% over we've lost team members team members just left halfway through projects so we've had some, i had some some hiccups <laughs> but i go back to that promise either i do it or i die trying and so the moments when i had nothing left I have one one final question, and it is, that is, are you still breathing? And if the answer is yes, then you you keep going.
0: Okay, I definitely want to know about the lover boy chapter.
2: <laughs> I thought you would. No, it involves just me hooking up with, you know, local girls everywhere I went and just saying whatever I need to be saying. And here's this white, good-looking Canadian surrounded by cameramen who's t- saying all the right things and making all the right moves yeah, I don't know. I guess I was just kind of addicted to that feeling of all that that thrill. It's a cheap thrill. Sometimes some girls would like resent me after because they felt I said how much they meant to me, how much I want to see them again, and then they I was gone, you know, and they're just like f you 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 should have just been honest.
0: So you were telling them what they wanted to hear. Yeah, they were probably pretty much throwing themselves at you,
2: Yeah, but I was accepting it. I don't know. Looking back on it, I think I was just too much of a playboy. I don't think it was necessary. In the end, I felt empty, so what's the point? I had a relationship halfway through the trip, and that was a couple years. But yeah, I mean, it's behind me. It's the next chapter. I mean, I'm in a happy, committed relationship now, and I'm starting to receive so much more experience that comes with real connection, not just a superficial, you know, one-night stand
0: It's so interesting to hear the guy's perspective of that, and I love that you came to that, actually.
2: I was lucky enough to experience that at a young age, because think about all the men who dream about that idea of going around the world, hooking up with locals everywhere they go. Like That literally sounds like a dream, and some men might spend their whole life thinking about that, feeling like they lost out, they missed out on something, especially when more money comes to them, more success, nicer cars, nicer houses nicer lifestyles, they think, well, think about all the young women that would throw themselves at me. And they think about that and that dwells in their mind. And that's where you get the midlife crisis. That's where you get the divorce. That's where you get the cheating. It's true. But for now, I'm content being in one place, being home, catching up with my family and my friends.
0: What has that been
1: like?
2: Well, my friends, It's like I didn't miss a moment. You know, everything's the exact same. We're still the same guys. And my family, I'm lucky they're still here. They're still healthy. You know, my grandmother and grandfather are still together, still married after 70 years. And, you know, I I go up there just to move furniture for them, to move dirt. I don't care. I'll, I'll go up for whatever reason. They bicker, they yell at each other. And I used to try and stop it and used to, like... Intervene and now I'm just so happy to be there that they're perfect just the way they are.
0: That sounds like a world record. Did you just say they were together for 70 years?
2: 70 years. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Isn't that crazy? Were you able to share your adventure with them?
2: Every year I would come home for Christmas, tell them where I'm going to go next. They would be incredibly terrified of print out warnings from the Canadian government not to go to these countries and There's a lot of fear, and I don't blame them for it, but...
0: I'm also interested in hearing how you lost sponsors. Yeah, I mean,
2: six-year commitment is a pretty big commitment. You have hundreds, if not thousands, of content creators that emerged and a trend formed, and so I'm sure they got a lot more options. They didn't need to spend as much on us, and they could get twice as much content for half the price. Without saying names, one of them used a clause in the contract to bail out of the contract, which was, you know, whatever. And another one just straight up ditched us, you know, you get the email and that's it, you know, you're done. One of them I made a viral video for, it got 10 million views in seven days. And they ended up losing our sponsorship because one woman was offended by the video on Twitter. She tweeted the founder of the company and then the founder of the company ordered us to take it down. And one man, one man's order to take it down. And they said, if you don't take it down, we're going to sue you. So I'm like, okay.
0: Talk to me about even knowing how to navigate these partnerships and coming up with the contract.
2: Well, I had nothing to lose. When you got nothing to lose, you, you risk it all, all the time. So I would just go on Twitter and start stalking these important people. You know, I stalked the founder of Hostel World, Ray Nolan, sold the company for $350 million, started up Skyscanner, sold that. You know, the guy's a, probably now a billionaire and I just hit him up on Twitter and said I needed his help. He responded back saying, how can I help? And then he introduced me to the team, tweeted Discovery, the guy who was in charge of content. You know, you got to do a little bit of research, find, find your targets and then hit him up. And I don't believe in going from the bottom up. Don't try and get to cus- through customer service. Companies form a wall, the customer service wall, and you'll never get past it. They do that on purpose. You got to go find the founder, the co-founder, and hit them up because they love, they love daring ideas. They love new ideas. They love gambles. They love these types of projects. If you're going to do something epic, go hit up the person who also does epic things and get their support. And I just came in expecting them to say, yes, there's no time for doubt. There's no time for fear. Conviction is a pretty convincing thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I've landed my first sponsor from a Twitter message also. Yep. I want to talk about what you're doing now because now Mm -hmm. you're helping others do that.
2: A secret weapon that I had, which I kind of kept to myself because it was working so well, was press. Companies love press. People love press. Press is—it's just that stamp of approval, that validation, that authority, that credibility. And so, if you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. You have nothing to be to start with. Then you need to establish some sort of authority to get taken seriously. So I would always be leveraging press in every opportunity I got. If I knew someone who wrote for a magazine or a company, I'd get them to interview us. Every chance we got for press, we flew halfway across Australia just to do a TV interview on Channel 7 News. Press was really important and it led to a lot of our big sponsorships. So I'm kind of a walking, talking case study of how, how powerful press can be. It can get you a trip around the world if that's what you choose. And so when I got home and my industry disappeared overnight, literally, I said, well, what can I do? And I was really good at press. And now I'm like, well, my chapter has come to an end. My story isn't over, but my journey has come to an end. How do I help other people on their journey, whether it's their company journey or their their mission or their purpose how do I breathe my excitement and enthusiasm into their journey? How do I help them tell a larger-than-life story like mine was? And how do I use that to get press and earn media? And so that's when we started up Mindful Media because I want to work with mindful people and mindful projects. We're at pretty interesting crossroads right now in humanity and I think I'll, it's time to represent people who want to do the right thing and you know believe in steering humanity into the right direction. And so I want to represent those people and help them tell their story. And so that's what we started. And now we have seven employees. We have about a hundred clients. It's growing really quickly.
0: (laughs) That's a huge blessing. Can anyone pay to play?
2: No, because there's a problem. If you just take anyone who pays, you do yourself a disservice because other clients are going to read them being, comparing themselves to this this person being like, why? Why did they get mentioned? You have our viewers, our our readers, who are seeing this authoritative, prestigious website, and you're seeing a story that doesn't really fit. They're going to be asking questions. To be getting some really big clients, they do their due diligence, and they look at the people you represent, and they say, do we want to be associated with these people? So I choose to be selective because I want to do this for the next 50 years. I want to do this till I die. This is a great job. I'm not in it for a quick pitch and a quick sale, you know?
0: So who makes a good client?
2: Someone who's doing something important, important for other people. They are giving back somehow, changing lives in a positive way. They're focused on purpose over profit. You can make profits. There's nothing wrong with that. But when profits come first over the planet and over other people, then we have an issue. So I'm just trying to navigate that, go off my heart, ask my heart and my gut how it feels.
0: I wonder if my daddy would want to travel the world. It's funny because whenever I've asked him, you know, because he is now retired, do you want to travel the world? Is there anything that, you know, you feel you haven't gotten to do? And he is pretty much just happy with where he's at. Like, I feel like there's so many people that are like, especially now that you can't travel, really want to travel.
2: I mean, for example, my brother, his wife, I was talking to her about my global degree and I want to go to every country in the world and nothing's gonna stop me and how I feel so aligned in this purpose and how having a family and kids at that time in my life sounded like a nightmare. And her response to me was, Mike, Having a family and kids for me makes me feel aligned and is my purpose and is what I want to accomplish in my life. And being in one place is what I want to accomplish in my life. Traveling every country in the world with, you know, on, with a backpack sounds like a nightmare. And it kind of hit me. Everyone's on their own journey. Like who am I to say what is right? What is wrong? What is profound? What isn't a perfect example. If I, I love to think about this type of stuff. Elon Musk, he's done some pretty great things, you know, he's doing some pretty great things for humanity, everyone looks at him as success, but you know, what about his mother, his mother said in interviews that she chose to give up a lot of opportunities in her life because her calling was to have children, her calling was to have Elon. And if you want to expand on that, what about the fact that Elon's born in South Africa, which has one of the weakest passports in the world. But luckily, May, his mom, was born in Saskatchewan, Canada. So she got Elon his Canadian passport, where he studied in Canada and then moved down to L.A. And then Elon became Elon. So my question is, number one, what happens if May decides to pursue her ambitions and never had her son? And even when she did, what if Elon was born a South African and never got his Canadian passport? Would he still be who he is? Or does our passport privilege determine our innovation and our impact in the world?
0: That is a great question. I'm definitely going to ask my daddy that. I had no idea that there was like a weak passport or a strong passport or anything like that.
2: Interesting thing to think about.
0: Well, this has been so much fun. I'm so happy that you came on the show and shared all of this with me.
2: I'm excited to get your dad's thoughts on my adventure. I'd, I'd be interested to see if he would do it if he was 25 or if he'd do it again today.
0: You've heard from my mom. Now, let's hear from grandpa.
1: It's almost like the story of the Wizard of Oz, where you go out on this wild adventure. To a a la la land wonderland with all different happenings and experiences where you meet all kinds of strange creatures and people. And then you find out that all of these things are all in your head and they all exist in your own backyard. You don't have to travel the world to find stability and love and companionship and meaningful relationships and adventures when all of it exists right in your own backyard. You do not have to travel all around the world to seek it out when it's right in front of you, if you know what you're looking for. How's them apples?
0: (laughs) It's funny. He gets asked, how can he afford that?
1: If you are resourceful, and again, people that want to film or write stories and travel the world, that takes time. That takes not only money, but it takes time and energy, and a lot of work is really being done for that. And there's a lot of companies, travel companies. There's a lot of people that will sponsor someone if they have a noble cause where they really want to go out there and be able to prove that the world, wherever you go in the world, that people are not that much different. They might speak a different language, but there's a lot of very, very good people and warm people and helpful people all around the world. There's a lot of people interested in that. He's doing what he loves. He loves adventure and seeking out the whole world and trying to not only improve his own wisdom rating, but also where he can show that people that apply themselves can fulfill their own dreams and they can put themselves out there and accomplish whatever they want to accomplish with their lives. It's a real enthusiastic, motivating thing that he's trying to do. But the fact is, is that he also told you that part of his adventure was not just to meet and connect with people all around the world. He also did it as a way to connect where just like sometimes a ball player has following, uh, like Will Chamberlain, I he said that he used to bang a different girl in every town that he went to and never the same girl twice. The irony is that having all of these women, he was having a la la relationship. He was getting his rocks off, but there was no real emotion or caring or ability in his life. He'd go out there and have a really good time and tell these girls whatever they wanted to hear. And you heard what he said afterwards. He says that it actually made him, instead of just an adventurous, a very shallow person when he's looking to see if people are caring and are friendly all around the world and where he could be connected to them. And yet, at the same time, he learned a lesson that being some type of Don Juan, isn't what it's really cut out to be because you don't really get the type of relationship that's worth holding on to. No one to hold on to, huh? Right. And then when he came home and he sees his grandparents that are married for 70 years and his friends and and his family, and he starts forming a real relationship, he found out how much more valuable that is compared to what this adventurous of tapping on different women all over the world. If you want a real relationship, there's commitment there's loyalty there's honor all of these things are just as important as having an adventure today's
0: episode is sponsored by rin10 media if you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own you want to get in touch with Ren 10 media when i first contacted them better call daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye and now Only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line Better Call Daddy. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show.